Forget about that. Luke chapter number 22, and it'll be page number 1108 in your old Schofield reference Bible. And you might be thinking, well, Brother Mark, how come we're not turning to Proverbs? Well, we're going to take a little break from the study on the book of Proverbs. We should be in Proverbs chapter number 2. We've kind of been doing a study. Uh, whenever pastor's been out, I've been doing a little study on the book of Proverbs. We did a few weeks where we did an introduction, and then uh, we, we picked up on chapter 1 and talked a little bit about that. Really, it compares the, the simple versus the prudent or the simple versus the wise, and we won't rehash all that. But tonight, tonight I'm going to actually do something that I really struggle with, whether or not I should preach this message. Message. The reason being is in homiletics class, which homiletics is basically the composition and the delivery of a message. This is probably one of the cardinal sins about preaching. And I'm going to do that tonight and we'll just ask the Lord's blessing on it. But what you say, well, what is the cardinal sin when it comes to homiletics or when it comes to preaching? Probably the fact of repeating a message. I'm going to actually repeat a message. So as I preach, you might say, this looks familiar. This sounds a little familiar. Well, it is, and, but it was years ago. So I figure I sometimes can't remember what I ate two days ago. So who's going to remember a message from four and a half, five years ago? You might remember the illustration or two. I've kind of reworked some of it. But the Lord just put this on my heart, and I want to just kind of share it with you. And it's really just a principle that I learned years and years ago that has helped me personally. And you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to use some personal illustrations as I preach and just try to make spiritual application. But uh, so we have the gospel, the gospel of Luke. And we all, those of you that know the Bible, the New Testament starts off with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you say, well, you know, maybe you've read through the Bible if you've, or you've read through the gospels and you, you see where you'll see one event listed in Mark. And then maybe a few, few weeks later, you're reading down in Luke or you're reading down in John and you see that same event. And you might wonder to yourself, what's the, what's the purpose of that? Why do we have the same event listed once, twice, three times? And some of the, some of the events actually um, are, are talked about in all four of the Gospels. And so really all that is, as you think about the Gospels, the purpose is if you think about a car accident... And you think about there's a street corner and you've got four different blocks to it, four different corners. And if there's an accident that happens, maybe I might be on one corner, Brother Zach might be on the other corner, Brother Brian might be on another corner, and maybe Brother Bruce might be on the other corner. All four of us might have a little bit different angle, maybe a little bit different thing that we saw. And that's really what the Gospels do. The Gospels just kind of give us different views, different angles of some of the same events. And so that's kind of what the Gospels are. There are numerous events that are contained in all four of the Gospels. I try to do some study and try to nail it down as to how many, and there's differing of opinions on how many different events are listed in all four of the Gospels, but some of them are the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry into Galilee. That's listed in all four of the Gospels. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that's listed all four times. Peter's denial of Jesus, that's listed all four times. The crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus being buried in a tomb, Jesus feeding the 5,000 is listed all four times. Jesus foretelling of a betrayer, you know, talking about Judas and, and, and he that sups with me, that's listed all four times. Then we have where Pilate, 
pronounces the sentence upon Jesus. That's shown all four times. We have Jesus' death and then also where the two Marys go to the tomb. So that's about 10 or 11 different events. But the, the, the scripture that we're going to look at tonight is actually uh, talked about in all four of the Gospels. It's listed in Mark 14, John 18, Luke 22, where we're at tonight, and then Matthew 26. So as we think about this, let's read this Matthew, uh, Luke chapter number 22 and verse number 39. It says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And just a side note, that's a good prayer for all of us to pray, that we will not enter into temptation. But when we do enter it, pray that the Lord will help us to escape that temptation. Verse number 41, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he, was, when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the message tonight. Dear Lord, I do want to come before you, God, and just admit that I'm uh, not, not uh, capable of delivering the Word of God like I should, God, and you know that, Lord, but I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, Lord. I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought. I pray that you'd help me to articulate the things that you would have me to say tonight, Lord, and leave off the things that you would have me to leave off, Lord. And I pray that we might go out of here being challenged, and maybe, Lord, if we're not going through a trial now that realize we will sometime, Lord, we may need this message. God, I pray that you'd help it as you've, you've burned this thought, you've burned this principle into my life. Lord, I pray that you bless our few minutes together in Jesus' name. Amen. Every Christian born again will face certain crossroads in your life. You know, there's going to be that moment or maybe several moments in your life where you will have to decide, am I going to keep on keeping on? Am I going to, as the songwriter says, not turn my back on him now? Am I just going to keep on serving the King of kings and Lord of lords? Once you are born again, there will come sometimes, there will come some events in your life where you can jump ship, as the old proverb says, or you, or you can throw in the towel, or you can just quit living for God, or you can decide, hey, I am going to forge ahead in my Christian life, there's going to be those crossroads where you're going to have to make that decision. What am I going to do? There's different crossroads that you might face, and I just kind of put threw them down into three different S's. The first crossroad that you, all of us will face in one fashion or another is the crossroads of sin crossroads of sin. There's going to come a crossroad in your life where maybe you'll fall and you'll have done a sin and you get discouraged and there's going to come that crossroad where you're going to have to decide, am I going to keep on serving the Lord? Am I going to be like the, the, the proverb says, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again? You're going to have to decide, am I going to keep on keeping on? Or maybe there might be a sin that pops up that maybe others commit. 
and it brings heartbreak to you. You might come home from work one day and find a note saying, I love another person, I'm leaving, or I have left. Or you might learn of a child who is in gross sin. Maybe you find it out through a text, or you find it out from them coming to you, and they're, they're ashamed of what they've done, and they're crying. Or you might learn of someone who you revered or held in high respect fell into sin. So there's a crossroad of sin. Sin can bring you at a crossroads. Number two, maybe a scuffle. I wrote down the word scuffle. You know, there's going to be, or, or a disagreement between you and another Christian. Maybe you and another Christian disagree on something and words were exchanged. Sometimes that's a crossroad. Sometimes people say, well, I've come to this crossroad. I've got this disagreement. I'm just going to, to, to just bow out on God. I'm just going to get away from church and, and just kind of take a siesta. And, and maybe you never, someone never darkens the door of a church again. All because they came to the crossroad of a scuffle. So there's the crossroads of sin. There's the crossroads of a scuffle. But then thirdly, there's the crossroads of a sickness, maybe a sickness that maybe even could lead to death. You might lose a good friend. You might lose a spouse. You might lose a child. You might lose a grandchild. You might lose a parent. And whenever you lose a loved one, emotions can be all over the place. You're grieving. Sometimes the devil likes to use bitterness to get you away from serving the Lord and doing what he would have you to do. You know, sometimes in our mind we think, wow, God took that person prematurely from me. But you know what? God's a sovereign God. He knows best. We don't always understand his ways. But sickness can bring us to a crossroads. And I want to ask you a question. When you're at a crossroads, what do you do? What do you do? I think we find this in Scripture here in this, this verse this is, this is, we read the story of, or the event of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here he is. He's, it's the night before his crucifixion. The disciples and Jesus, they celebrated the Passover. And here they've, they've now arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane. They went not only to, be, to pray, but Jesus, you got to understand, he was omniscient. He knows everything. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the fact that he was going to be arrested. He was going to be hung on a cross, and then he would die for us and, and eventually rise again. But you know what? They were there in the garden. Jesus took three of the inner 12 and said, let's go to the garden, Peter, James, and John. And he, they went there, and he said, hey, disciples, you three, I want you to pray that you, you enter not into temptation. They fell asleep. Peter ends up betraying Jesus. Judas then betrays Jesus, and then Jesus is arrested. And here I, I want to use just a personal illustration, and we'll make biblical application here in just a second. But some, or most, or, or all of you, we've, we've been through things before. I mean, if we were to start on my left and go all the way to my right, each and every one of you have been through certain heartaches, certain turmoils, certain setbacks. And I want to give you, uh, just talk about my life just as a way of personal illustration. We all have a script for our life. We all write a script for our life. You know, maybe you, you, maybe you don't necessarily take it out, but you've got a script written for your life, a way of the, the, how you think your life is going to be. Maybe mine would be, well, number one, graduate high school. Number two, go to college. Number three, get married. Number four, have children completely healthy ones. That, that would be in my script. That's something that I would set for myself. Maybe number five, own a home. Number, maybe number six, have a quote-unquote good job. Maybe number seven, stay married happily. 
Uh, number eight, raise God-fearing children. Number nine, see children have children. I mean, that's a, that's a normal thing that we desire, our children to have children. And then number 10, maybe live debt-free. Number 11, have God-fearing grandkids. And the list could go on and on and on. But what do we all do? We all write a script for our life. And I did that for my life. I went to a Christian school my senior year. I then went on to Bible college and had a desire to serve the Lord. It was my last semester. I met my wife, Sarah, in my very last semester. I was really thinking I would just go off into the ministry and serve at my home church and, and be like maybe the Apostle Paul. Some people think the Apostle Paul was a single person. And I, I kind of thought, well, I'll just serve the Lord doing that. And then my wife came along. We started dating and all that. Make a long story short, we, I ended up graduating and then ended up marrying Sarah. And I went to work at my, my home church. I mean, the church that I grew up in from since I was eight years old. I loved it. I was in the ministry ministry full-time. I, got, we, I got, uh, got married, like I said, and then my dad, who I was very close with, he was pretty much retired at that time, and he would stop by the church often. He Sometimes he'd help us. We'd, we, we got together, and sometimes we'd get on top of the bus, and we'd sand the bus, and we'd paint the bus, and we'd put decals on it, and I was just loving it, serving alongside with my dad, and my script was looking good. My dad and I were close. I loved being around him. We worked together. I loved it. My script was looking good. Everything was just falling right into place. I thought, man, life can't get any better. Then all of a sudden, the early summer of 2001, I received the news that no one wants to hear. I, I got the call, and my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I was just probably, well, I must have been right at 22 years of age. My dad was diagnosed with cancer, and I had a, he, he had, you know, sad to say he had ignored a lot of the symptoms, and the cancer was just so far gone. They tried to do surgery. They tried to remove the cancer. And it was just way too late. The doctors said, hey, we tried all we can. We can't do anything. Doctors sewed him back up and said, really, there's nothing they could do. He went through some chemotherapy treatments, and I got ahead of myself. We ended up, my wife and I ended up getting married in August of that year. And I remember my dad going out to the wedding. He flew from California to Iowa, and he, he was there at the wedding, and he had the, 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 the pack that gives him the chemo and all that. And he was on all kinds of pain and everything. And, uh, and then just shortly after that, we got married in August. And then la latter part of October, we ended up taking him into our house for just a few days. And about eight days later, he ended up passing away. And really, my script was starting to, in my mind, was starting to fall apart. October 27, 2001, he passed away. I, I had to preach my own dad's funeral. I remember talking with my dad shortly before he passed away, and I said, Dad, who do you want to preach your funeral? I remember him just kind of real somber, just looking at me and said, Mark, I want you to. And just the feeling that came over me. Then in 2002, my wife's dad came down with cancer. He had surgery. He's still alive, praise the Lord. Then 2009, my wife's mom came down with cancer. She was in the living room, and she, she felt a little lump. And then all of a sudden, she goes to the doctor, and they, they diagnosed her with cancer, and she began treatments and everything. A year later, it ended up uh, metastasizing to the brain. She ends up passing away. So now we've lost two out of our four parents due to cancer. Three of our four have had cancer. You know, that's not the script I had for my life. But you know what? That's the path that God gave me. That wasn't my script. But you know what? God had a different script for my life. God had a different script for our lives. Think with me about the scriptures we just read. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what lies before him. And he says in verse number 42, he says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove 
this cup from me. So the Lord Jesus, he knows what lies ahead. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, will you remove this cup from me? And then look what he says. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And you know what I happened? You know what I think happened that very minute? Just kind of reading between the lines right there. I think the Lord Jesus said, I'm going to tear up the script. Maybe I don't necessarily want to go to the cross. He knew that was his ultimate destiny, but there he's sweating drops of blood, the Bible says, and that's an actual condition. But here he is, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's born of a virgin. He's the almighty God. He was deity. He was 100% God and 100% man. But yet he says, not my will, but thine be done. I think the Lord Jesus tore up the script. In Hebrews chapter number four, and verse number 15, it says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but it was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And sometimes that verse, we, if we're not careful, we kind of blow past that. But it says, for we have not an high priest which can't be touched. So if we were to take away those two knots, it basically says we have a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of the, the it can be touched with the way that we hurt. He knows our grief. He knows our pain. Uh, he had normal feelings. He had normal temptation. He performed all the miracles. Yet God Himself says in Luke chapter twenty-two and verse forty-two, "Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup." From me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew it was a bitter cup. He was God. He was omniscient. He knew what lied ahead. He knew it was a bitter cup. It wasn't one of joy. God was all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Crucifixion was not an easy way to die. I mean, you take those spikes and they, they drive them through here. They drive them through there. They, they crisscross the legs and they put the spikes straight through there. And then they hoist you up. The, the cross goes up and it falls down the little hole. And you know what? The, the, really, cr cr uh, dying on the cross is really a way of dying by, a, a, by suffocating. You get on that cross and you try to breathe and you lift up and it just hurts and then you let back down, and then you can't breathe, and so you lift back up, and eventually all your muscles are worn out, and you just can't raise yourself anymore, and then you end up dying by, by suffocation. He knew what lied ahead. He, he was hoisted up on that cross, and at the age, young age of 33, he tore up the script. It wasn't easy. Jesus was in deep, deep agony. Like I said, he sweat drops of blood. He had immense stress. You know, I looked up the other day, what are some of the effects or symptoms of stress? Here's some of the ones that I looked up. It said sleep patterns can be altered. You can have headaches. You can have GI problems. You can have ulcers. You can have chest pain. You can have muscle aches. You can have muscle tension. And I remember when, after my dad passed away and I was a youth pastor trying to preach and my back was totally contorted like this and I'm trying to preach to the teenagers and after several days I thought something's wrong. I went to the doctor and the doctor said, what's, what's going on? You know, and I told him what was going on. He said, is there anything stressful or traumatic going on in your life? I said, well, my dad passed away. He said, that's probably what's causing your muscles just to spasm and tension. So stress can affect a body. Stress can do a real thing. There's a thing called hema 
tetrosis. It's when you're in deep stress and it's a rare condition where you're in such agony where you actually sweat drops of blood, just like the Bible says, where, where it was like blood falling to the ground. Here, God was in deep, deep stress. He, he cried, not my will, but thine be done. I want to encourage you and I want to encourage myself. The lesson tonight is if once, if not many times in your life, let me encourage you to tear up the script in your life. Maybe you've got something written the way you want it to be. Let me encourage you just to tear it up. Let God fill it in. Your life may not be just the way you want it. It may not be just the way you want it 10 years from now, five years from now, 15 years from now, but God is a sovereign God. We need to just tear up the script. You know, in my short life, there have been times that I've had to tear up the script, tear up the script for my plans, tear up the script for my dreams and my goals. Those are good. Goals are good, but don't, don't allow revisions or adjustments along the way to, to, to question God or to, to make you bitter. All our fiery trials are filtered through the Father's hands. Everything that comes your way is filtered by a heavenly father. I remember years ago, I worked for a building supply company and eventually they asked me to become a dispatcher and I I did not want to do it. I told the boss, I said, man, if I can get out of it. And he said, well, just help us out. And I tried doing it. And we had a saying after a while, I had a saying that that I heard and I kind of applied it towards dispatching. But you know, dispatching, when you're trying to, maybe we had about 20 or 21 different trucks and they're going here and going there and they're trying to go to this terminal and pick up this product and go here and go there. And after a while, uh, you know, you'd find out you, you set a truck up to leave in the morning and they're to go to plant X and pick up this. And you're counting on everything to go just right. And you know what I learned about dispatching? Dispatching is what happens while I'm busy making plans. You know, I made plans. Okay, it's going to go, this truck's going to go from here, go to there, pick up everything, go over here, make a delivery, come back, and everything's going to be smooth sailing. And my day started about 7 o'clock, and by about 7.20, I was ready to throw the phone and just throw the clipboard across the room and say, well, dispatching is what happens while I am busy making plans. But I also want to say life is what happens while we are busy making plans. You know, we make a script for our life. We make plans, and God says, no, that's not what I have for your life. That's not the plan that I have. My, he, the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. And there was a man named Horatio Spafford years and years ago. He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer. He, was, he had a thriving legal practice. He had a beautiful home. He had a wife, four daughters, and a son. He was a devout Christian. His legal practice was going well. And at the height of his, at the height, he was really at the height of his financial and, and uh, professional success. And tragically, he lost his son. Shortly after the great Chicago fire destroyed uh, almost all real estate that he had, Spafford scheduled a boat trip, and what he was going to do is he was going to send his wife and kids on a boat across the Atlantic to England and let them go take a vacation. He stayed back in the States to finish up a little bit of business, and then he was going to catch another ship and and move over to England, and they were going to have vacation. They ended up coming back. Well, when his family, his wife and kids, boarded that ship, little did they know they would not make it to England. There was a collision where one ship ran into another ship, and that ship ended up going down, and the telegram that his wife sent back to Horatio Spafford said only two words. All it said was, saved alone. 
All of his children uh, died in that, in that shipwreck. Only his wife survived. While crossing the Atlantic to meet up with his wife, so his wife ended up being rescued and she ended up going on to England, Horatio Spafford boarded another ship and got on the ship and they were going across the Atlantic and they were making their way towards England. And about the time that that ship got to the location of where that previous ship had gone down, the, the, the captain of the ship got on the radio and announced and said that uh, this was the place where the ship went down. And Horatio Spafford pulled out a pen and he wrote the words to song number 275 in our book, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, with my soul. Then he wrote the next verse, though Satan should buffet. You know what? He's going to buffet us from time to time. Through, though trials should come, let his blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. You know what Horatio Spafford did as he crossed that, that uh, the Atlantic right there, right where that other ship had gone down? You know what he did? He tore up the script. He said, you know, that wasn't the plan that I had, but God had a bigger plan. God, had a, God has a purpose. I want to encourage you. When life hands you lemons, make lemonade. He made something good of what we would call something bad. And now everyone, uh, churches all across America, sing the song, It is well with my soul. Isaiah 55, verse number 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus knew what lied ahead. He said, not my will, but thine be done. I want to give you three basic points. We got about 11 minutes and we'll be done. Number one, how do we tear up the script? You know, that's fine and dandy to say, oh, I need to tear up the script in my life, but how are we going to do it? What principles can we apply? Number one, how are we going to tear up the script? How are we going to take the script for our life and just tear it up and say, God, you're in control of my life. I don't know, will come what may. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what will happen with my home. I don't know what will happen with my marriage. I don't know what will happen with my, my children, my grandchildren. I, I don't know any of it. But I'm going to tear it up and put it in your hands. How do we do that? Number one, there must be acknowledgement. There must be acknowledgement. You say, Brother Mark, what are you talking about? Psalm 107 and verse 1, we need to acknowledge God's goodness. Through it all, acknowledge God is good. Psalm 107 and verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't think it means to give thanks uh, um, about everything, but I think what it's saying is be, be thankful in everything. While you're in it, hey, be thankful. Just be thankful. You know, when my dad passed away, the song that became so real to me, I remember my pastor at that time, my home pastor was so gracious. He said, Mark, why don't you just take a couple days and, and, and just get away? And I slipped off to Don Pedro Lake, which was about two or three hours away. And I remember just going out there and just kind of thinking. And one of the songs that came to my mind, was, and it stuck with me, is God has been so good to me. You know, in the midst of losing my father and, and the closeness that we shared, I wanted to focus on God's 
God's goodness. There must be acknowledgement that, hey, God is good. I, was, I then became thankful that, hey, I had my dad for the years that I had him for. I was thankful for a godly dad that showed me how to be saved at the age of eight. I was thankful for a dad that took me to a church and kept me in church and picked me up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why? Because my parents were split up. My dad was living in, in the next city over and would pick me up for church. I was thankful for a godly dad. I was thankful for my wife. I was thankful for my church. When God gives you something, realize through it all, God is good. God is good. When the script God has for your life isn't going as planned, acknowledge God's goodness. Acknowledge it. We can be so focused on the heartache. And yes, I'm not trying to minimize it. As I'm preaching, I'm looking around, seeing different folks that have gone through heartaches. I'm not minimizing that. But realize God is good. Good. There must be acknowledgement. Number two, there must be awareness. There must be awareness. I think of the verse in Matthew 27 and verse 46. Realize it's okay to ask why. Jesus did. I'm not saying go to God and say, God, why did you do that? And you're doing it out of a spirit of bitterness. But if you come to God and say, God, What's the purpose of this? You may never know this side of heaven, but you can ask God, what's, what are you trying to help me? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to, to, to do in my life? And God may very well show you that. Only ask why to learn, not out of bitterness. Look at Matthew 27, verse 46. Jesus asked why. If Jesus asked why, I think we can ask why. He said, he's, he's ready to die. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was, he, he, all, like I said, he was omniscient, but he was still asking why. Psalm 25 and verse number four, it says, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Show me thy ways. Is that our prayer when we go through heartaches? Do we say, God, would you show me your ways? Would you teach me your paths? I have to admit, that's not always my approach. Sometimes I'm asking, Why? I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to pray. Why is this happening? We may not say it out loud, but we get to feeling that. Number one, there must be acknowledgement. There must be awareness. It's okay to ask why. And then number three, there must be avoidance. There must be avoidance. I would say avoid bitterness at all costs. You know what we can do sometimes? We can go through a trial and we get bitter. We get bitter against God. We can get bitter against a spouse. We can get bitter against a child. You invest so much in that child and maybe they, they turn their back on God for a few months. They turn their back on God for a few years. And what can we do? We can become bitter. I want to say well, there must be avoidance. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15, it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and then look what it says, and thereby just yourself is defiled. Is that what it says? It says, thereby many be defiled. If for no other reason, don't get bitter because your bitterness is going to infect others around you. Your bitterness is going to, to move over to your spouse. Your bitterness can move over to your children, and they will pick up on it. They will see it. 
Your bitterness can move on to your grandchildren. Your bitterness can move on to those you rub shoulders with around the church. Your bitterness can move on to those you want to try to minister. Avoid bitterness at all costs. Bitterness always destroys its own container. Circumstances do not limit God's ability to help and bless you. So I want to ask you tonight, will you tear up the script for your life? There's a script there. Will you tear it up? Will you take a blank script and just give it to God and say, God, you fill it in. I may not like every single event that happens. I may not like a setback that might come my way, but I'm going to realize that everything that comes my way is filtered through the Father's hands. I'm just going to give it to God. I'm going to tear up the script. We need to tear up the script. Maybe you need to tear up the script tonight about salvation. You don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you say, I'm just going to do it later. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I've got so much time. One verse and we'll close. James 4 and verse number 14. It says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as Savior, you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised another heartbeat. You're not promised a safe ride home today. I want to encourage you, tear up the script. How about you, Christian? Will you tear up the script? Will you, will you be like the Lord Jesus Christ and say, not my will, but thine be done? Will you be like Horatio Spafford going across the Atlantic saying, hey, I've lost my, my four daughters. I've lost my son. But you know what? It is well. Maybe God sent a trial to your way over the last year. Maybe sent a trial over the last six months, over the last three months, over the last week or two. Will you tear up the script? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Is there an area you would say, I, Brother Mark, I need to tear up the script? Maybe there's a sin. Maybe someone sinned against you. Maybe you've sinned. And you're having trouble getting past it. You're having trouble forgiving yourself. Maybe there's a scuffle. Someone's done you wrong. Maybe you just need to come and tear up the script. Maybe there's a sickness. Maybe God allowed a, a loved one to pass. Maybe prematurely in your sight. And you're just having a tough time with that. Maybe we just need to tear up the script. I'm not saying just overnight you'll be over it, but God helping you, maybe you can tear up the script. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's all stand to our feet. As